the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the app. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thank you for tuning in. Happy Friday. Kind of cloudy the rest of the afternoon, 79 the high, a lot of clouds tonight, low 64. Could get a couple of showers tomorrow on the cloudy side as well, 68 the high, so we drop down a bit as the uh, 60s are approaching now. Sunday, the high just 63, although it is supposed to be on the sunny side most of Sunday. Flyers won 5-2 over the Islanders in preseason hockey last night. That wraps up their preseason Flyers open their regular season next Thursday, the 12th, at Columbus. Their home opener is Tuesday, the 17th, against Vancouver. So let's see. We have a couple of big things going this weekend. Let's go in order of not importance, but I'd say in terms of the sports world, you know, you have the regular season and the playoffs. So we'll start with the Eagles for a second here. They're at the Rams Sunday afternoon, 4.05 start. Head coach Nick Sirianni asked about. The fact that you know you're traveling to the West Coast, and he's a big process guy. So you've played Thursday night football, Monday night football. Now you're playing across the country. You know how do you uh, get the team ready in terms of your process, and and so they're really able to do a great job Sunday afternoon. Every different scenario has a different process, right? That that we're constantly trying to perfect. So you can't perfect your process unless you know exactly what your process is. Not only that, take that a step further and that you're constantly evaluating that process. We know exactly what it is. At the end of us doing it, we evaluate it and say, hey, did we handle this Monday night game? What, what are suggestions of the players? What are suggestions of the other coaches? What are my thoughts? And how do we tweak wh- what that looks like? So, you know. We've had a couple different uh, West Coast trips that we've had here in the past couple years. Las Vegas, Denver. What was last year? Arizona. And so now that coming off of Arizona, we've, we've had conversations. Hey, what did we not like? What did we like? I think the biggest difference, without getting too much into it, is the Saturday schedule of what we're doing. More so when we, you know, here, maybe leaving a little bit later, but also, you know, when we get there and the time change of they don't need to hear my voice over and over when we get there. So the meetings are a little bit shorter when we get there. So it's all about that. It's because it is it's a, it's a trial and error thing. You feel things, but that's why you have the evaluation of every process that you have. That's head coach Nick Sirianni of the Eagles. And the shorter version of that is that when they get there, he's going to not talk as much so the team can kind of settle in. That's kind of what he said near the end of that. But the bigger part, which I played there for you, has to do with, you know, when you're running an organization that big with all those players and all the coaches, you have to really think about how to use your time wisely. It's not just, you know, oh, this guy's a great quarterback, this guy's a great receiver, and they go and throw them the ball. You've got a lot to manage, and the process part of it, although personally I'm not a process person as much as I probably should be, it's really wise to have that in place. 
I've actually grown to appreciate that my son Toby, uh, because of his injury, which I've shared about on our station a few years uh, a few years ago, he had a kind of a weird injury playing baseball, and someone just kind of hugged him from behind, knocked him over. In the last four years, he's been battling a lot of uh, neurological and other neck and head pain because of it. And um, but so he said that I really had to learn because I only have sometimes a good hour or two out of the day where I can function normally. And a lot of the other time I'm battling pain, I have to lie down, close my eyes. Whatever. So he talks about process a lot and it's opened my eyes, up, my eyes up to more than just simple stuff, but to think about efficiency and being effective and how you structure things. And as coach Sirianni talked about there, continuing to evaluate it and reevaluate it so that you can sharpen things as much as you can. So anyhow, that's head coach Nick Sirianni, sound courtesy of the Philadelphia Eagles website. Also, there's a chance that Fletcher Cox will not be playing in the game. And if that's the case, there are others who will step up. Jordan Davis, one of them, and he was asked about that possibility. Supreme focus. I like to say Fletcher is like my safety net. Like If you look at me and Fletcher the first drive, we always do our little handshake. I'm going to miss that this week, but um, you know, I know he's going to be there. I'm calling him before the game when we need a locker room. Just make sure, you know, whatever he has to say, I'll listen and take heed to it. You know, he's true. He might even send me a text during halftime, so we never know. But uh, I know he's definitely going to be around. Even if he's not there in person, his presence is going to be felt. That's Jordan Davis on the possibility of filling in for Fletcher Cox this weekend. 405 Eagles at the Rams. Uh, and also, by the way, in basketball, in case you hadn't heard, Joel Embiid saying he is going to play for Team USA next year during the Olympics. He could have played for France or potentially Cameroon. Uh, although Cameroon, I don't think, has qualified yet. They may, but they may not even be in it. Because France is the host country, they automatically get in, although they have a pretty good basketball team, uh, comparatively speaking, probably would have made it anyway. But he was really torn amongst those possibilities. But uh, the reason he gave was wanting to help restore U.S. basketball to higher heights in terms of the international platform and uh, respect. It's been it struggled the last five or ten years. So Joel Embiid announcing that. Uh, now, the other thing, of course, happening tomorrow, game one, the Phillies at the Braves, six o'clock, the National League Division Series. Game two is in Atlanta on Monday at six, and then games three and four next Wednesday and Thursday in Philadelphia, and five back in Atlanta a week from tomorrow on the 14th, if that's necessary. So it's the best of five, whoever gets the three first wins. Now, I had the opportunity to be at the clinching game on Wednesday of this week when the Phillies knocked off the Miami Marlins two games to none in the wild card series. That series, a best of three. And was in the locker room when the players were celebrating. And I'm playing this with you partly tongue-in-cheek, but actually I went through this because when I got in the, the locker room and uh, you know the beverages are flying everywhere and the music is blaring and it's just you can't even really hear, I thought, okay, well, um, I had two thoughts. The first is, Maybe we should all just leave so these guys can celebrate and then like kind of bring us in later because especially if you're trying to write a story or something, it's it's hard to – this is not all that profitable. Although I guess you can observe the players spraying each other and, and yelling and screaming, which is all fine and good for them to do. But my point is uh, also out of respect – just out of respect, like let them have their time. But uh, but it was a celebration, and, and so after a while I thought, well – I have this new phone, and it's got a good microphone on it. Maybe I'll actually get some audio I can use, but I thought, now nah, the music's going to be too loud. And it was and is. But I will tell you, listening to the audio, I'd say eight to ten times, I was actually able to get the quotes from the players. So just for fun, these are short quotes. The first player I got to be near who came out in a hoodie was Bryce Harper. 
And uh, I'll just play for you what we were, quote, unquote, up against in terms of trying to gather content to share on the show. This is Bryce Harper. All right, so that's Bryce Harper and his teammates and the music. But listening to it, and because I videotaped it, I actually can read, like, read lips, but I can see what it was being said and all that. And here's what he said. Believe it or not, I have, I think, every word he said. He said, uh, where is it? Here we go. He said, Bryce Harper, we have fans like that, meaning the Philly fans, behind us each and every night. Very hard to come in here and play, meaning for the opposing team. We know that. We're built for the postseason. We know that as a team. We're going to play some really good teams coming up, really big games for us against Atlanta. Going to take it one game at a time and enjoy it. Believe it or not, that's what I just played for you said. All right, I have two more short ones for you. After talking to, if you can call it that, Bryce Harper made my way around to Alec Bohm, their third baseman. And here's just a short clip of what Alec Bohm had to say after their series clinching win against the Marlins. So that's Alec Bohm and... Having listened to that about nine times, here's what he said, uh, because Miami was in the Phillies division. He said, that's the National League East, the NL East. It's a, it's a really good baseball. All five teams, if you don't play clean baseball in our division, you don't win the game. So I feel like this whole series is kind of an example of that. So that's Alec Bohm of the Phillies. The last short clip is from JT Realmuto, who hit a home run and a double, Early on, he hit that home run, which really helped the Phillies get going. Later in the game, though, Bryson Stott, their second baseman, hit a grand slam and put the game away, so to speak. They went from being ahead 3-1 to one to 7-1, to one, and uh, JT was asked by one of the reporters, how did, how did the team react when that grand slam happened? That was the moment of the night I'll be able to do that all right, so that was uh, our little locker room, so to speak, experience. And what J.T. Romuto said with Gwen Stefani in the background was uh, Bryson Sott's Grand Slam. That was the moment of the night for me to be able to do that against such a tough left-handed pitcher. That guy's really good. Bryson went up there, first pitch, looking for the fastball and put a good swing on it. And once he put that ball in the seats, the entire stadium was shaken, 45,000-plus fans. So Miami is now in the rearview mirror. Phillies knocked them out in two games straight, and they move on and hope for more celebrations coming up in the days ahead. Game one tomorrow at Atlanta at 6 o'clock. Ah, so, all right. So it was kind of fun. I mean, I thought, do I, do I play that audio? I'm like, actually, if I listened to it, I was able to, it took nine times per, per person, but you, you get two more words each time. You look at the lips and you can see what they were saying. So anyhow, when I go down to the games, the, the, the really, um, it's different than the reporters. I actually feel 
badly in some ways because the reporters, many of them are on deadline. They're writing stories that have to be filed by a certain time. So they're really trying to get something for that night specifically. For me, it's more about getting a chance to maybe uh, get to know a player so they'll perhaps be on the show at some point or something like that or just um, be able to speak more intelligently about things. So I, I have a different, um, you know, and I'm, I'm glad for that. Honestly, I've done the other thing before. I've, I've been what's known as a stringer where you go out and you um, – you're responsible for getting quotes for the main writer, Rob Motti, who has joined our program many times, the head writer for the Associated Press for baseball and football in Philadelphia for a couple decades. Sometimes I would work for him and with him for the Associated Press. And like he'd write a story. It's an interesting thing. He writes stories. as soon. If, this, this is just something for fun for you to know if you're a sports fan. When a game is over, um, a lot of – Organizations, you have to file a story right away. The Associated Press, which sends its stuff and people subscribe all over the country to receive their their stories, they pay for that service. So when Rob's writing, he has to have a story ready to hit send within one minute of the game being over. So if you go online, say ESPN.com, and you look up a story that Rob's written, it's something he's been writing the entire game. And sometimes if the game is close, he's got to be writing two stories. Uh, you don't know if the game one this team's going to win or that team's going to win. And then within an hour. He has to have a second story ready to go out, which includes quotes. That's the difference. So if you look for stories with quotes right away, you won't find it because no one's talked to anybody yet, generally speaking, I mean, certainly not after the game. And then you look an hour or two later and you'll see news stories that have popul- been populated with quotes. So I've done that job where I run downstairs and get quotes and bring them back up and, and try to tr- even transcribe or text from the locker room or the press conference room so he can keep writing. Uh, while he's upstairs. So, and he, and he comes downstairs a lot too, but when he's writing, sometimes it's like, Timmy, get me one quote from this guy and one quote from that guy and whatever, the first thing that works, you send it up. So it's quite a, it's quite a pressure cooker job that at, at times. And uh, anyhow, so that was fun and hopefully we'll have more chances in the, in the days to come and a nice long playoff run for the Phillies that culminates in a World Series championship. We have a couple special guests on the program today and the first one in just a moment, her name is Mary Heffernan, really enjoying uh, this book. It's called The Hands-On Ranch Book, How to Tie a Knot, Start a Garden, Saddle a Horse, and Everything Else People Used to Know How to Do. Mary's going to join us on the program and, uh, and share about that. And uh, A.J. Jacobs, who's a New York Times bestselling author and host of The Puzzler Podcast, will be joining us. And on top of that, we have You Know What? Now That's Punny to conclude our broadcast with. So it's all coming up, a full show today. Thank you to Mike Lindell with My Pillow for helping support our program. Mike is very thankful for your business, and he uh, wants to keep giving back. And the most important thing or most uh, recent thing that's been going on, the uh, – the six-pack bath towel sets are in stock. They have the Giza sheets available. They have the uh, MyPillow 2.0 itself. All these things, go to MyPillow.com, enter the promo code TIM, T-I-M, to get 50% off. Like All you got to do is just remember to put it in there. Or if you want to call up, you can do that too. And the number for that is 800-892-6405. 800-892-6405 or again at MyPillow.com. Uh, type in the promo code TIM to get your 50% off. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Thanks for hanging out today. You're listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show. Heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL, it's the Tim DeMoss Show, and we're glad to bring on board now Mary Heffernan, uh, author of the Hands-On Ranch book, 
how to tie a knot, start a garden, saddle a horse, and everything else people used to know how to do. How you doing, Mary? I'm doing great today. How about you? <laughs> great. The uh, the book title, you had me at the book title. <laughs> it's some skills kids need to know these days. Everybody needs to know these days. Yeah. T- talk about just a little backstory of what led you to write it. And um, I know for me why it resonated with me, but I'd like to hear your your story first. Well, 10 years ago, my husband and I kind of picked up our life in Silicon Valley in the Bay Area, the hustle and bustle uh, between San Francisco and San Jose. And we had businesses there and kind of a a busy life. And we moved to a a cattle ranch six hours north in the mountains of Northern California to a town of 600 people and totally switched gears in our life um, to raise cattle. We raised beef and send it to uh, all 50 states. We ship directly to customers right from the ranch, our beef, pork, and lamb on dry ice. But we had these four little girls that got immersed in ranch life all of a sudden, and they learned so much and became so capable because of the necessity of having them help out on the ranch, learn these new kind of skills that they never would have learned if we had, had, had lived in suburbia. So during the pandemic, we really leaned into how can we share what our kids are learning on this ranch with kids sitting at home all over the country. And we created what we call M5 Ranch School, which is a 40-lesson program with videos and interaction and worksheets where kids can learn all these old topics like um, candle making and harvesting maple, uh, harvesting trees, raising animals, leather work, bread making, welding, mechanics, just a lot of these really neat old world skills that people um, aren't really focusing on anymore. And from there, we uh, wrote this hands-on ranch book that's kind of an abbreviated version with some of our, our favorite topics um, from how-tos to recipes to a little bit of old school knowledge. It's very interesting. So you guys left, was it primarily to change pace for you yourselves, you and your husband, and then a lot of the other stuff was discovered by you as you were living this life. It sounds like you're business-minded, so going to the ranch wasn't just, we need to get away, but you had intentionality. Like, was the business business part of it already there for you as opposed to just living on a ranch? Yes. We we wanted to uh, – really good quality meat. And so we really wanted to lean into that and get our meat directly to customers all over. And the bonus was, you know, living and, and working on a ranch in a small town in a rural area – But, you know, it took a lot to figure out that business model. We left behind successful businesses in the Bay Area and said, you know, we we want a slower pace, but we also want to be the ones raising these animals and doing it from start to finish um, to get this meat to customers all over the U.S. And now we are the only ranch in the U.S. that is doing everything from start to finish, including on-ranch USDA certified harvest. We have our own USDA certified butcher shop with a team of eight craft butchers, and we ship it directly to the customers. So the, the meat never changes hands besides ours, which is pretty unique. Wow. Wow. If you just tune in, we chat with Mary Heffernan. She's author of the Hands-On Ranch book, How to Tie a Knot, Start a Garden, uh, Saddle a Horse, and Everything Else People Used to Know How to Do, broken into four sections. I guess it's country living, do-it-yourself, animals, and for young entrepreneurs, maybe just give a, a quick little blurb on each section. And, and, you know, was it clear to you that these are the things that need to be in it? Because I guess it was birthed out of the curriculum that you had developed. So you kind of knew where you were going ahead of time. 
Yeah, it's some stuff that, you know, people might know or want to dig a little deeper into, but the country living um, are kind of those skills that, you know, we talked about that people have, have lost these days, even using a compass, how to find and purify water, um, how to build a fire or a simple shelter, how to identify animal tracks, um, fishing, starting a garden. It really just touches on the, those basic life skills that you never know when they're going to come in handy in life. Yeah. I know in the, the second section in the bread making area, you have making your own sourdough. I know our, our family loves sourdough. And one thing I noticed with the recipe, starter dough takes a week to do. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And, you know, especially if you're in an area that doesn't have um, really, you know, purified air, like on the ranch, there's a lot of life in the air. And so that life really translates to an active starter, um, you know, whether it's bacteria and warmth and, and just a lot of microbiome in the air. So when uh, when you are at a place like the ranch, the, a starter will get um, very active very quickly. But no matter where you live, yeah, you can you can make your own starter. It's pretty amazing what bread and water can do, flour and water can do. I know in part three in the animals one, uh, horses, chickens, cattle, sheep, rabbits, working dogs. It's interesting because, and this is another question I'm sure you can speak to and have been asked before, about you do have to live on a ranch to actually use this book, and the answer is a no. But I think those things touch on if not if a person's never owned a horse. I know a lot of kids who wish they could ride a horse, or maybe they took horse riding lessons. Or we actually had chickens. We live in the suburbs. We had chickens. We had just enough property to legally have chickens in our backyard, and it was so much fun. And so the other things too. I have a cousin who has enough space to have two sheep and things like that. So these are not that far afield from most people in terms of including that section in, in the in the book. Yeah, and they're just things that are like good facts to know. You know, what are the differences in the breeds or, or you know, the terminology. A lot of people will say, oh, you raise cattle, so you eat, you eat cows. And it's like, actually, you, we don't eat cows. Cows are the breeding mamas. What you're harvesting are either the steers or the heifers. And just knowing that kind of the differences between all these different parts of livestock and kind of some people, I hope that it spurs people to want to dig a little deeper with these, you know, overviews to really learn more about one thing or another. How much did you and your husband know when you left Silicon Valley to the ranch 10 years ago? We, it was a, it was a steep learning curve. You know, we, um, my husband grew up in a farming uh, family. His dad was a farmer, but farming is really different than raising animals and ranching. So we had to learn a lot, but luckily the community, the agriculture community, um, people are very open to teach what they've learned from, you know, years of trial and error and, um, and share that knowledge. And that really has helped us. We're very grateful for people who, you know, stepped up to kind of help us learn the right way to do these things. And um, there's lots of ways to do them, but but really picking out the way that makes sense for your operation and the way you feel good about um, that we've been very fortunate to get here. Just for folks tuning in, Mary Heffern and our guest, the book we're talking about, The Hands-On Ranch Book, Part 1, Country Living, How to Read a Map, How to Purify Water, How to Make a Fishing Pole and Hook, Working with Tools, uh, some, some examples in the Do-It-Yourself chapter section, How to Make Wild Earth Dye, uh, Cooking and Grilling Basics, Candle Making, Simple Sewing Fixes, How to Make Maple Syrup, Part three, I mentioned there, the animals. And part four, for young entrepreneurs, putting your talents to work, raising animals for profit, interesting careers to cap that off, which I'm guessing is also spurred on by your own four daughters. How old are they now? 
They are 11 to 16. Okay, so that's a sweet spot for, uh, I'm guessing, part of the inspiration for that, that last section of the book? Yep, exactly. We, we are an entrepreneurial family, and we love you know, giving kids the, the tool to do it themselves. We are, that's our motto. We have a little Entrepreneurs Academy program um, that serves adults as well as children, but mainly you know, even geared towards adults. And our motto is, you can do it, but you're going to have to get scrappy. you got to learn these tools. you got to build your own website, make your own logo. You know, when you're an entrepreneur, but budgets are always going to be tight. And if you're starting something new, they're especially tight. But by having those skills, it really opens up a whole world to take advantage of opportunities, uh, start a new business, start a side business, start a second or third business. So I really get inspired by teaching kids young um, what the steps are to take an idea and turn it into a profitable business. Well, I think that's summed up nicely in the very beginning, in the introduction. We are all more capable than we think we are, whether it's growing our own food, navigating with a compass, building a fire, or caring for animals. There really isn't a more satisfying feeling than being capable and knowledgeable in a situation where we need to think on our feet, make decisions, and solve problems. It's a great, I mean, it really, sum, to me, it summed up the whole book in a very nice, yeah, tight that's way. True. Yeah. Well, and to that, to that end, the, the teaching process for you as a parent with your daughters, what was that like for you? Because that's a learning curve also. You could be in the middle of it all and, and you're maybe talking too much or you give them no guidance and then they just get total experimentation. How did you approach that teaching path? So I really like to give them the tools and the platform to jump off from, but they have to have the will and drive to want to do it themselves. You know, nothing's ever successful if someone's holding your hand and helping you along the way. So that's kind of what we've based our whole workshops and our course on is here's the tools to teach you how to do it. Now you got to go and make it happen. And I think that empowerment is a big uh, make or break for being for being an, a successful entrepreneur. It's interesting you say that because the feeling I got uh, from the book as I read through it, you know, each chapter anywhere from one or two pages to eight pages or more. But the general, it's kind of like here's the here's the frame, here's enough stuff, here's some key parts. But it's not exhaustive or designed to be like a stick encyclopedia. Uh, you know, there's more for you to explore and test out and try. I'm even guessing. Uh, is there a way for people to, quote, unquote, continue the conversation with you if they wanted to ask a question based on what they read or, or what they tried out or even just share their story of how it went? Yeah, we love that. You know, we're on um, Instagram at Five Mary's Farms, and we love just engaging with people there. Um, we post a lot of different content from the ranch and a lot of the, the content that that's overlaps with what's in this book. Um, and then if they if people want to go deeper from the hands-on ranch book, you can join M5 Ranch School with a lifetime membership to all of this content. We have 1,200 pages of printable activities, um, entrepreneur worksheets, and we have 40 different lessons with educational videos that, that walk you through the process. We visit different ranches all over the country that do things a little bit differently. It's a great supplemental learning program for kids of any age to um, dive into all of these topics that we kind of touch on in the hands-on ranch book. And then we actually have our own app for M5 Ranch School where you can share your stories about what you learned. You know, we have a lot of how-tos that challenge kids to, like, make dinner for their family or cook scrambled eggs or make their own bread, make their own candles. So people post photos of their projects and, you know, these happy kids with big smiles and feeling really capable. Um, and that's a, a neat place to be able to interna interact and kind of 
find that community uh, touch point when you dive a little deeper into what's behind the ranch book and ranch school. It was, it was actually the, one of the main last couple of questions I had for you. There's the obvious, the contents, the chapters and the topics. But then there's also the spirit behind why the contents are in the book. Uh, so maybe you could speak to that because that probably also addresses people listening who's like, well, I don't live on a big property or I live in an apartment building or something where they may not have the real estate to do some of the things that are in the book. But the things like being resourceful, for example, certainly comes through all the way through the book. So maybe you could speak to the usability of the book in terms of kind of no matter where you live. Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, we really built this program with the urban or suburban family in mind where we want to bring these skills in an approachable way to kids who don't live on a ranch or don't might not even get to visit a ranch um, or a farm and, and but have that interest or just want to make sure that they are exposed to these different kinds of skills and bases in agriculture and the outdoors um, that are harder to find these days depending on where you live. So the book is really a guide for um, anybody, especially those who don't live on a farm or ranch, who just want to get a little bit more familiar with what might happen on a typical ranch and see if it sparks some curiosity or some interest to dive into that a little more as they get older. I think what appealed to me, and folks just tuning in, we're chatting with Mary Heffernan, author of The Hands-On Ranch Book, How to Tie a Knot, Start a Garden, Saddle a Horse, and Everything Else People Used to Know How to Do. That drew me in right away with the title because... I'm thinking personally just how the world's gone and not that phones are bad or computers are bad, but you find yourself living this kind of half real life, half not real life, and in the process, kind of in a way losing some skills, specifically map reading. My my wife's dad's a missionary to Brazil, and he everywhere he took his eight children, they, he got maps out and he did all these directions. And I, as a wedding DJ, used to use maps and stop at the side of the road and say, oh, yeah, you have to go down two lights. And then there's this big thing. And, they, and now with the GPS, Garmin's for a while or whatever, and now GPS is in your phones. In some ways, I'm glad for it. But other ways, I'm like, I'm not as smart as I used to be or as in, intuitive, <laughs> right? And there are times where I've been in, like, the mountains D- DJing a wedding on a farm, and I can't get a signal. I'm like, I can't get out of here. Like, how do I, <laughs> how do I get home? Yeah, no. It's true. It's a scary feeling these days to not have service and think, how am I going to find out the weather? And how am I going to figure out where I am and where I need to go? Um, how am I going to call for help if I really need it? How am I going to start a fire to stay warm? There, you know, Depending on how long you're without service or without uh, the amenities we're so used to, these are really important skills that you need to know how to do. And it starts with the simple things like how to read a map because we shouldn't all be so reliant on our phone or our navigation in our car to get us where we need to go. Um, and, you know, you never know what situation you're going to find yourself in life. And with a little bit of knowledge, you can be the superhero that saves the day because you can say, all right, I've got a compass buried in here somewhere. I can read a map. I can help us get out of this situation. Yeah. The clouds are moving in two different directions. That means weather's coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Reading weather is, a, is really valuable. Well, and, this, and just so folks know, the spirit in which you convey these things, though, is not like, we all got to get back to the way it used to be. There's new stuff. And I can't stand it. You know, so it's it's very uh, gently written. You refer to Internet and social media and you, you, you use it. So it's not that you're against it. But the stuff that you have in this book, to me, is just one step removed from where things were not too long ago. And they don't have to get too far in the rearview mirror and disappear. So, yeah, exactly. You know, it feels like this is it. Last question for you. 
what do you feel like, you know, I, I mentioned it before, but what do you feel in a way the Hands-On Ranch book is about in terms of maybe preparing for the future a little bit? Have you thought much about uh, just being ready in case the world goes a certain direction and you actually need to be able to be self-sustaining in, in some of these things? Yeah, you know, I believe the the pendulum is always swinging, and we've gotten used to a world where amenities are right at our fingertips, but, you know, we've all seen, especially the last few years, that supply chains can be cut off, uh, delivery rails can stop. We need to be prepared to take care of ourselves, um, and that's not just a crazy concept that, you know, someday might happen. There There is real chances that, that things could go awry in this world we've built with things at our fingertips, overnight delivery at a moment, um, right. and that can change quickly. And having those skills to, uh, you know, have some basic survival skills and know that you've got either food and water stored away or you know how you can find it and get it, um, that could be a lot more important than we think. That's right. That's right. And uh, last, I have one quick last, just incidental question from the introduction. My wife, my wife and I have talked about that. That's why I ask you. We've talked about buying a piece of land in another country. She's from Brazil, just to have a place to go to if even things go kind of sideways in the states, or not like in a fear, but just there's there may be some wisdom to pausing and thinking. What I know, if we're out, if we're without water, or if we're without something for a week or two weeks or something or longer, what would you do? Do you know how to even? You know, where would you turn to first and some preparatory things you can do ahead of time just to at least be, be in a rudimentary way, be be uh, ready. Um, Francie, Maisie, JJ and Tessa and you in the in the sign off in the introduction. Are they your daughters? Those four? Yes, four daughters. And they're actually um, their given names are all all start with Mary. So that's how we are. The five, the five Mary's farm, five Mary's ranch is where we, our main brand is, but they go by their nicknames. So Francie's the oldest and Maisie, JJ and Tessa, uh, but their given names are Mary Francis, Mary Marjorie, Mary Jane and Mary Teresa. Okay. That's great. I was, I was thinking there must be something like that. We have a Tessa in our, our family as well. So that's kind of no. neat. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Did they contribute? I'm guessing they contributed some in terms of, hey, mom, put this in there yes. or whatever. Yeah, they were they were a big help, and they're the little they're the little horse girls. They're all competitive in rodeo, um, barrel racing, team roping. So they have been really helpful in kind of helping me make these things approachable for kids and teachable. I bet they even teach each other. So it's a yep. yeah. Mary, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. It's great to make your acquaintance. And uh, again, the site to maybe is the is the best main site fivemarysfarms dot com for more info, and they can go from there. Yep, that's it. Okay, very good. Well, God bless you, Mary. Thank you for taking time today. Yeah, it was great to chat with you. Sure thing, Mary Heffernan, author of the Hands On Ranch book: How to Tie a Knot, Start a Garden, Saddle a Horse, and everything else people used to know how to do. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM five sixty WFIL dot com and on the WFIL app. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. 
It's 440 on the Tim DeMoss Show and WFIL. Don't forget, today, the last day, you can get that free download, God's Seven Holy Days and How Jesus Fulfills Them. It's the guide that covers Passover, the Feast of Trumpets, otherwise known as Rosh Hashanah, and a number of others, courtesy of Rabbi Schneider with Discovering the Jewish Jesus, that ministry which airs at 3 o'clock each weekday on WFIL. Rabbi Schneider explaining which feasts in this guide were fulfilled by Jesus in his first coming and which will be by Jesus' second coming. We've been talking about this for a while now. The download itself becomes a, uh, off the goes off the board, I should say, at midnight tonight. So there's still time to do that. You can find it right on our homepage at WFIL.com. A lot of great contests on our site as well, including, by the way, the guest we just had on there, Mary Heffernan. Her book is up for grabs all month long in October, the Hands-On Ranch book. So go to the contest page for that. Continuing our program right now, another special guest joining us. He's a New York Times bestselling author and host of, if you like games, The Puzzler. It's a podcast. And our guest, A.J. Jacobs. Hey, A.J., how you doing? It's good. How are you? Good. Share the story, The Puzzler podcast. What's it uh, about? What led you to want to put it together? Well, I've always loved puzzles since I was a kid, puzzle nerd. Uh, I wrote a book called The Puzzler about the greatest puzzlers in the world, jigsaws, crosswords, you name it. And my favorite part of doing the book was doing the audio book, where I would give puzzles, audio puzzles, to the listener. And I was like, you know what, this is this I haven't seen or I haven't heard, so what if I did a podcast every day, just five, ten minutes, I give a little puzzle to a celebrity guest, a little treat for your brain, and people can listen while they're driving, solve puzzles, get that aha moment, get a little... Um, uh, get a little boost for your for your mental day and uh so that's what we've been doing what's the what, puzzler. and so the schedule for it uh it's a daily and you mentioned it's five or ten minutes so it's it's manageable but still every day that requires that's a lot of puzzles to come up with is it not i know i was intimidated when they said they ordered 260 i'm like whoa <laughs> so i don't know how you do it every day but yeah we we banked them so i've already uh got dozens of episodes with amazing guests ken jennings from jeopardy mo rocca from cvs all these people they don't have to be experts though we have some people who are total novices and we give them these uh these puzzles and i'm very easy with the hints because i don't like to see people struggle too much <laughs> and the puzzles are very accessible I mean, for Ken Jennings, I did some hard puzzles because he's Ken Jennings. Yes. And he still got them. Although I did stump him with one one puzzle. You want to hear the yeah. puzzle was yeah. um, name that game show sound effect. So it was sort of an audio quiz where I would play, I would play him a sound like, eh, and he would have to say, oh, that's from Family Feud. Wrong answer. And and so we we played him a bunch, and he got some, but not all. Interesting. So I was very excited we stumped Ken Jennings. <laughs> Will he be back on the podcast after that? <laughs> <laughs> he likes being stumped. That now, was great. I bet. He has, uh, yeah, he, so, I, he, he knows too much, so well, it's always nice for him. So, AJ, not to sound too academic, but I, I think this begs the question a little bit. Um, you know, if you have what you would call a definition for what makes a puzzle, because you mentioned, I'm thinking crossword. We actually had this conversation at dinner the other night. Someone said to a guest in our house, you like puzzles, right? And it's like, well, what kind are you talking about? A crossword, word search, jigsaw. So do you have a main group of puzzles you kind of at least think the word applies to a lot, or is it really open-ended? I like to be very liberal with the word puzzle. I think anything that includes an aha moment that is the key, where 
you're struggling, you're so, and then you go, oh, and you see it in a new light, and everything clicks into place, order out of chaos, and that's what I think makes it universal. That's why humans love it, because we are wired to solve these problems. You know, the first puzzle was, what do I eat? And now it's turned into fun, more fun puzzles that yeah. are not going to, that you don't have to uh, rely on for your livelihood, but it just taps into that idea of seeing the world in a new way. And I love that. I love the light bulb moment. It's interesting. I was thinking Scrabble for a minute is something in our home, which is creating words out of mixed up letters. And then there's the puzzle of how do you fit it onto a board in a way that, A, just you can find a place to play, but then B, make sure you don't set up someone else to play a triple word score or something. So there's some strategy, but that's a puzzle of sorts. So, you know, I'm thinking there's, there's, when I was a kid, we did Rubik's Cubes and the, the missing link and the pyraminks and all those are more physically obvious puzzles too. Do you have a, a favorite puzzle that comes to mind for you? Well, I am a, my first love was the crossword puzzle. And actually the book starts with a little anecdote about how uh, I was the answer a few years ago, the answer to a clue in the New York Times crossword puzzle. It said, author A.J. Blank, and it was my name, A.J. Jacobs. And I thought this was the highlight of my life, like the <laughs> holy grail. I was on uh, cloud nine. Then my brother-in-law emailed me the next day, a very brother-in-law email, and he said, congrats, but, but you were in the Saturday puzzle, which is the <laughs> hardest puzzle of the week, and all of the answers are totally obscure. So his point was, this is not really a compliment. This is proof that you're totally obscure. <laughs> so that was a nice asterisk for my greatest moment. But, That's uh, very funny. But it got me back into uh, puzzles of all kinds. Have Have you uh, ever seen the movie Better Off Dead with John Cusack? Uh, yes, but it's been a long time. Yeah, Do me, they have puzzles in that? Me too. No. Well, I was thinking of it because you, you talk about it with your podcast, the Puzzler podcast, it will include new puzzle formats. And I, when you had the one with the audio one, because in that in the Better Off Dead, John's mom, they have that French exchange student, Monique, and she's just trying to relate by speaking French fries, French dressing, French bread. And I was thinking about how you have a, a puzzle with an accent, right? A, a French. How does that go again? Yeah, that puzzle is one we made up uh, called an earbus and. The answer is a t always a two-word phrase, so always two words, but the clue is just one word. And I'm going to say that word in a weird way, like a weird accent or a weird tone, and that's going to clue the answer. So, for instance, if I said, blessing, I'm not the best with the accent, but blessing, that answer is French dressing. Yes. So, yeah, we do one that uh, that involves accents and because it's got to be audio. It's a podcast. So it, it helps us be more creative. Makes total sense. And so to that end, people tuning in, uh, listening to the Puzzler podcast, they will they will hear some new types of puzzles, but maybe also some recurring themes you, you envision going back and doing certain ones as benchmarks throughout. Oh, yeah. We've got sort of uh, some of our classics, and, and some of them are, are things like you mentioned, uh, anagrams where you rearrange the letters. So like, for instance... Rearrange the letters in this phrase, and you'll get a job that involves. If so, if the letters, the words are moon starer, moon starer, M O O N S T A R E R. The answer rearrange them, and you get someone who stares at the moon. It's an astronomer. 
astronomy. Uh-huh. Exactly. So we have some of those, but we also have some. We have one that's like um, name that chat GPT prompt. So we're trying to use AI in an interesting way to come up with puzzles. Wow. Wow, that's great. It's a lot of fun. And for you, you mentioned it earlier, but maybe last question. I know you're talking to a lot of folks. Just the idea of what puzzles can do for people in terms of you know, sharpening their, their thinking skills, having the fun of a challenge. How about for you personally? Anything in particular or how you feel they benefit people? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love them. I don't love going to the physical gym, but I love doing puzzles, which are sort of like a mental gym, but fun. Like they're not, you don't sweat and you're not painful, but you get that boost. You get that, you get your mind sharp. It's almost like a joke. It's like that surprise ending and you go, aha, and you, uh, I love that. I need it every day. That's great. AJ Jacobs, host of the Puzzler podcast, New York Times bestselling author. And thank you for taking time being on our program too. Well, thank you, Tim. Love talking. All right. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. You too. All right. A.J. Jacobs, again, New York Times bestselling author, host of the Puzzler podcast on the Tim DeMoss Show and WFIL. Speaking of jokes, speaking of fun. Now that's punny. Coming up next, Tim DeMoss Show and WFIL. It's the Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. It's 4.53 on the Tim DeMoss Show, and we are very excited now to cap off our fine week with Now That's Punny, Doug. Okie dokie. Ready, Doug? Ready as I'll ever be. You doing all right? Yeah. Okay. Hang it in there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Doug, I have a question for you. Oh, boy. Why did the man smile when the farmer gave him a chicken? He likes chicken. Because he was pheasantly supplied. Pheasantly supplied? Yeah, I wasn't expecting it. Pardon me if I laugh. (laughs) That's a pippin. That's curly. Oh, that's a chicken. No, that's and that's curly. And I was actually looking up Three Stooges stuff yesterday. Yes. Larry Fine's birthday was yesterday. Really? Yeah. Which is also my sister's birthday. And I texted my sister late last night, and he said, "Becky, guess what? Larry from the Three Stooges and you share a birthday." <laughs> and she was thrilled. She I'm texted sure. back. She said, "I'm not really sure what to do with that information." <laughs> Women don't have the stooge gene. Yeah, it seems to be that way. Without a, without making it a blanket statement, I think that's pretty much the case. <laughs> hey, Doug, how did the orthodontist get ready for the roller coaster ride? Uh, he took out his teeth? He braced himself. He what? He braced himself. He braced himself. <laughs> Doug, back in college, I dated a girl named Lorraine for a while. You were a womanizer. <laughs> but I, uh, well, take a look. But I broke up with her because I'd, <laughs> I'd become interested in another girl, Clara Lee. Clara Lee. Yeah, but it worked out. I remember thinking at the time, I can see Clara Lee now that Lorraine is gone. Cute. <laughs> uh, little Johnny Nash reference. Mm-hmm. Doug, did I ever tell you about the time I joined the trampoline team at Penn State? No, you didn't. It was in the spring. Mm-hmm. It was in the spring. Oh, is that it? We have a spring there, don't you? Oh, you want that? Yeah. Uh, I, I did get injured once, but uh, I bounced back quickly. Thank you. I like a double. It had like a, it had like a rhythm to it. So it kind of got interrupted. Why did the soup chef get fired from Clem's Calm Cafe? Clem's Calm Cafe. Yeah. I have no idea. Because he was always stirring the pot. 
soup before the weekend's over and next week's gonna be colder mm-hmm. doug i squashed a big termite in our house yesterday how big do termites get you didn't want to see this one it was it was ugly and Andy had an attitude so first of all he's eating away at my house without asking <laughs> permission <laughs> permission denied but then right before he squished him he says go ahead make my day found out afterward his name was clint eatswood that don't you yeah it did it was good Doug you remember the uh, Winter Olympics were in China in 2022 my friend Ty actually earned a gold medal at those why do you look skeptical that's something to do with Ty go ahead (laughs) he earned a gold you're going to make fun of him he he earned a gold medal at those Winter Olympics but the officials would not give him said medal it was really kind of crazy he was a ski jumper they saw Thailand, but they just didn't want to acknowledge Taiwan. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> uh, Doug, you know, I, I, um, I'm during this pun segment. I'm willing to share, all right, openly. And uh, I have, I have a weird fear of overly intricate architecture. Okay. I, I guess I have a complex, complex, complex. <laughs> if I'm being honest. I don't like that phrase, by the way. It just slipped out of my mouth somehow, but if I'm being honest, well, why wouldn't you be honest? Doug, everybody always asks, where is Bigfoot? But rarely will you hear someone say, how is Bigfoot? Yeti never complains. Yeti. 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 You slipped that one in there. It's awesome, baby. Last one, Doug. Okay. I once asked an alpaca for a favor. He said, no problema. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they're like small ones. <laughs> one different one, better one. Yeah. All right. And on the high note. All right, Doug. I went to Walmart the other day looking to buy cherries and a microphone. And bottom line, I was successful. Bought a Bing. Bought a Boom. Microphone. Boom microphone. I got it. I you got liked it. it? Yeah, the crowd liked it. Was it a little. All right, how about one more? Oh, my get, gosh, get, you're pushing your luck. Get the dog one ready. Oh, okay. I took Moose, our dog, to the vet uh, today mm-hmm. and uh, had to get some blood work done. Okay. We're just now waiting for the Labradoodle report. <laughs> and on that note, yeah. go Phils, go Eagles. Yes, yes, yes. All weekend. Doug will be this Barco Lounger all weekend. Barco Lounger. Where's his dog barking? I don't have a dog barking. <laughs> go, 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 go. <laughs> Close enough. Have a fine weekend. You too, Tim. Have a million dollar weekend. WFIL. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.